Hi, this is Gary Emerald with Tentmaker Ministries. Years ago, I think it was back in the 1970s, maybe 1980s, um, there was a, uh, a study that I read by a sociologist who infiltrated a group that expected to be um, lifted off this earth from a, uh, a spaceship. They believed that they were near the end of time, and uh, on a certain date, a spaceship would come and take certain elect people from this planet and uh, um, allow them to escape uh, uh, a holocaust that would, uh, would, that would come upon this planet. Anyway, this sociologist infiltrated the group to see what would happen to the group as it approached the date and what would happen after the date if the liftoff didn't occur. The, the sociologist, and, and, and I certainly believe that uh, after the date, if they were still here and the spaceship didn't come, I would have assumed that the group would, would have disbanded and gone its merry way. To the surprise of the sociologist, just the opposite happened. The group actually came, became closer and more involved in their, uh, their uh, odd behavior and their, their odd beliefs. They didn't disintegrate. They actually uh, bonded together even more. In, uh, in the 1990s, I did this series of tapes here that I entitled The Rapture of 70 A.D. In doing that, uh, at the time, there was a real frenzy in, uh, in the Christian circles, especially fundamentalist, evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal-type circles. Uh, there was a, a great fear on the earth. They were convinced that Jesus would come at any moment. There would be a great holocaust, a great catastrophe, probably atomic bombs and uh, World War III and uh, all kind of terrible things, one of which was the Y2K, that the entire computer system, the electric grid, everything associated with banking and whatnot would, uh, would uh, just disintegrate because the, uh, the computer chips would, uh, that were programmed to end by the year 2000 or something like that would, would just destroy uh, this planet economically and people would... Uh, uh, Countries would go to war with each other, and the the Holocaust, the 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 Armageddon would occur. Um, but but Christians were convinced, or many Christians were convinced that they they would escape this um, Armageddon because the, because their doctrine uh, convinced them from a handful of scriptures in the Bible that that the elect, that those who are Christ's, would be raptured, would be caught up in the air and escape the terrible wrath of God that was to be uh, hit the earth before the year 2000. Well, obviously, uh, it didn't happen in the year 2000. And I would have thought by now, I'm doing this little recording here in the year 2010, I would have thought by now that the rapture fever, just like the socio sociologist would have thought that this little cult would have uh, disintegrated and evaporated, I would have thought that this teaching of the rapture uh, would by now have waned and that most of those who were caught up, who, uh, who sold their properties, who, who bought all kind of uh, foods and, and, and bought properties out in the wilderness and, and just you know, did some very bizarre things at that time, I would have thought that, uh, that some rationalism and 
some normality would have returned to the, uh, the evangelical community. But to my surprise, the rapture books and audios and videos and the TV programs that are preaching that Jesus coming any day, that that teaching is as prevalent today as it was then and maybe even more so. It shocked me. I'm really still, you know, 10 years after the rapture was supposed to occur, I'm still surprised that the books are selling and the TV shows are going as great as ever before. Evangelical Christians are not the first group to um, have uh, expected or anticipated or desired an escape from the problems of this world. The reason why I did that tape entitled The Rapture of 70 A.D. was to show that the Jews in Jesus' day had that same kind of a mentality, had that same escapist mentality. And yet the scriptures very plainly taught the opposite, and yet they missed it. Why did they miss it? For example, let me read you this scripture that is right at the beginning of the, of the covenant of which Israel was to be a part. In Deuteronomy 31, 24 through 29, we find this passage. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of his law in a book until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck, thy stiff neck. Behold, while I was yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death you will be utterly corrupt yourselves and turn away from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord. Provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Now here we have the inaugurator of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the leader of Israel, prophesying to Israel, saying that the latter days, the end of this covenant, would not be good for the children of Israel because they were rebellious, they would remain stiff-necked, they would provoke the Lord to anger, and the outcome of their trek over the period of Israel's history, the end of it would be catastrophe. It would not be blessing. It would not be rapture. It would not be escape from their enemies. Jesus came to this um, last generation. He came at the latter days of Israel's Old Covenant economy. And here's what he had to say to the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the pastors, the seminary professors, the, the heads of, uh, of denominations, if you will. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tomb of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say that if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. 
Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourself, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the, the damnation of hell, Gehenna, the garbage pit? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed from the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest those that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wing, and ye would not. Jesus spent a lot of time preaching and teaching to the children of Israel to warn them that very day, that very generation, that very time, to warn them of the wrath to come. Let me quote a couple more scriptures that uh, will put this whole series in perspective for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But many of them God was not well pleased with for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three thousand and twenty Three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he falls. So here the writer of 1 Corinthians says, uh, The ends, plural, of the world are come upon them 2,000 years ago. And he said to them, what happened to Israel? They're for examples. They're as teaching aids. We should learn from their mistakes. In Hebrews chapter 8, we find that the high priest who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the, ta make the tabernacle. And in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, we find, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year after year continually make 
the comers therefore perfect. So here, the law is a shadow of what? Of good things to come. And in 8, we say that it's a shadow of heavenly things. So heavenly things and good things to come, they're joined here. In Luke 24, Jesus said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. 2,000 years ago, Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And most of Israel rejected his message. Why? Because they said they had Moses. And yet Moses predicted the end of, uh, in their generation, that it would be a disaster. And instead of a disaster, they were expecting a deliverer. And since Jesus didn't meet their needs as a deliverer, they rejected him as Messiah. 2,000 years after, the church is expecting a Messiah again. And it's expecting deliverance again. Have we learned anything from the Jews at all? This uh, series of teachings here, I'm hoping that some people will go back to history, will go back to Josephus, will go back to the law, and see whether, in fact, the church is not in the exact same condition that Israel was 2,000 years ago, where they were expecting a deliverer, and they got judgment instead. Today, the church is expecting, the, the evangelical church, the charismatic church, the fundamentalist Pentecostal church, is expecting a rapture, is expecting a deliverer. And yet, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Israel missed the time of their visitation, and they missed the door, the opening door to the kingdom of heaven, which was at hand 2,000 years ago, because they, um, their traditions um, made the word of God, made Moses' words of none effect. Christians today are committing the very same mistake as Israel did 2,000 years ago, only in the reverse. They still have traditions that make the word of God of none effect. But instead of Israel putting the kingdom in the past, many evangelicals today put the kingdom in the future. They hope that one day the kingdom will come when in fact the kingdom has been here. The new heavens and the earth, if you have ears to hear, had been here for 2,000 years. But because they have put the kingdom in the future, in some hope of some rapture someday, they can't see the kingdom that is all around and opened to them even today. So even as Israel was in unbelief 2,000 years ago because of the traditions of men and doctrines of demons, today, 2,000 years later, millions upon millions of Christians, through the sin of unbelief, through not recognizing what Christ has done, past tense, and has made available present tense because they have put these things in the future, they cannot receive them. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. It's been here for a long time. And the traditions of men and the doctrines of demons that held Israel back 
are holding millions of Christians today back. I did this uh, teaching before the year 2000, expecting that this teaching would be of no avail or would, would basically be a useless teaching in the year 2010. But this teaching is even more needful, I think, even today. So I hope this, uh, this teaching will, uh, will do some of you that are listening to this uh, some good and pass the teaching on to some friends and uh, relatives and some neighbors. Jesus opened the door to a glorious, glorious kingdom and its righteousness 2,000 years ago. The door has been wide open ever since. And I hope and pray that this tape series, this teaching series, opens the door, opens the eyes, opens the ears, opens the heart, that you might receive the fullness of the salvation that Jesus brought on the cross 2,000 years ago. Thank you. Hi, this is Gary Emerald. This tape series is... uh probably the hardest thing that I have done. And I really hope and pray that those of you that are listening to these first moments of this tape series, please, please, please listen to the whole tape series. Don't stop 30 minutes into this and and set it aside. I, I beg you, please, listen to it all. There's some very, very important information on this tape. It's a tape that deals primarily with history. And most of us Christians really don't enjoy studying history. But if we don't study this history, and if this tape series doesn't really get you to do some very serious digging and searching, then you're truly doomed to repeat the history that this tape is all about. So uh, I begin this tape series with a uh, a warning. And hopefully with the right spirit, please listen to this whole tape series and then study to show yourself approved. The history that we're going to be studying has very much to do with the times that we live in today. And to bring that period that we're going to be studying into today, I'm going to uh, read a a few paragraphs from a newsletter that uh, comes to me from uh, a man named Tex Mars. It's a newsletter ministry of this man. He calls it Flashpoint. Tex Mars is an ultra-fundamentalist. I've read a lot of his newsletters. I've read one or two of his books and listened to a tape or two. He is an extreme ultra-right type of an individual. Uh, Ultra-patriot, Bible-thumping fundamentalist. So much of a fundamentalist that uh, most other fundamentalists are not fundamental enough for him. A lot of the things that he puts in his newsletter, in terms of the facts, when he talks about the president or his his wife or uh, some of the things going on in the government, a lot of what he he writes about, the information that he gets, is true. The spirit, well, 
I'll leave that for you to decide. I'm going to uh, read a couple of paragraphs, a few paragraphs from uh, his August 1995 edition of Flashpoint. And then I'm going to read a, a few paragraphs from a tract that uh, came my way. And, I, and the reason why I'm introducing this tape series with these um, paragraphs is because these two ministries here uh, use the very same scriptures that we're going to be talking about in, in, the, in the rest of this tape series. They're using those same scriptures to prove to people today that we're living in the end time and that uh, the Antichrist is right at the door and if you don't heed their words, you're going to be doomed to hell. So that's why I'm starting this tape series with these two men. They are out there warning, warning, warning that the end is at hand. And if you don't hear their words and listen to what they say, you're doomed. So here are some of the things that these two individuals say. This first one here, Tex Mars, August 1995, front page. I quote, Billy Graham says pagans saved through nature. In his fear-mongering environmentalist propaganda book, Earth in the Balance, Vice President Al Gore writes, nature in its fullest is God. But how many know that the theology of the world-acclaimed evangelist Billy Graham fits in well with that of Al Gore, a fellow Southern Baptist? In McCall's magazine January 1978, Billy Graham told an interviewer that his views on salvation had changed. I used to believe that pagans in far-off countries were lost. We're going to hell, said Graham. I no longer believe that. I believe there are other ways of recognizing the existence of God, through nature, for example. New Agers who preach nature worship and who exalt Gaia the planetary deity, will find great comfort in these words from Billy Graham. Jews don't need Jesus either. And there's more. According to Graham, heaven not only awaits earth worshippers, but also Christ-rejecting Jews. The popular celebrity told McCall's that Jews who reject Jesus may nevertheless still go on to heaven. And then a head headline, Graham a Catholic? What about Catholics? The McCall interviewer asked, Yes, said Graham, sincere Catholics will also be saved. Indeed, Billy Graham reveals that his own beliefs are, quote, essentially the same as Orthodox Roman Catholics, end quote. So here he quoted Billy Graham's own words, according this, to this article here. The evangelist even stated that he would soon go to Rome and preach at a Catholic cathedral. He had been invited to Rome, he revealed, by a top Vatican official. A man loved by the world. Amazing these facts from Billy Graham's own mouth were revealed almost 20 years ago in McCall's, a popular woman's magazine read by millions and sold in supermarkets and convenience stores everywhere. Billy Graham's adoption and promotion of these satanically inspired philosophies explain why a decadent and admiring yet unsaved and si sinful populace holds the Baptist evangelist in such high esteem. If he were to preach the hardcore truth, uh, like Jeremiah, Elijah, and John the Baptist did, the evangelist would surely be hated and ostracized by the world. But because he speaks the lukewarm, politically correct, unity and diversity language of modern mystery Babylon, Billy Graham consist 
consistently ranks among the America's top ten admired men in opinion polls. One sure sign of a pro false prophet is that he is praised by the world. Billy Graham is a man who proudly trumpets his friendship with presidents and prime, prime ministers. He has said, quote, I no longer believe in a literal hell, end quote. He refrains from saying clearly that homosexuality is wickedness. Graham has also stated that he does not complain about abortion because, quote, no one really knows when life begins, end quote. All this has made him a friend of the world, a man respected and touted even by the liberal media. How stark a contrast with our Lord Jesus, who, the Bible records, quote, made himself of no reputation, end quote. It would be wise for Billy Graham and his legion of supporters to carefully consider these powerful words of the Apostle James. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. James 4.4 4. Is he ushering men and women into hell? Obviously, Billy Graham's teaching that men can be saved through nature or by false religion cannot be squared with Scripture. The Bible tells us that only faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross can men and women be saved. Not through trees, rocks, and babbling brooks, and not by church traditions as taught by the Pope of Rome and by his Catholic minions. Quote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 it cannot be overemphasized that Billy Graham's public statements over the years may have already resulted in untold numbers going to hell. Millions of people believe in Graham. Many place utmost confidence in his every word. If Billy Graham tells them they need not be born again, John 3, through faith in Jesus Christ to go to heaven, they believe him rather than God's word. Trusting man instead of God, they perish. Billy Graham is not alone in his guilt. Isn't it strange and more than a curious, a little curious, that leaders of the Christian establishment have consistently refused to expose or even to mildly criticize Billy Graham's unscriptural views? Why haven't the editors of Christianity Today, Today Moody's and Charisma Magazine, and the hundreds of owners and managers of the 1,500 Christian radio stations affiliated with the national religious broadcasters spoken out in protest against Billy Graham's heretical statements? What about the leaders of such powerful denominations as the Southern Baptist Convention, the Assemblies of God, the Lutheran Church, and the Church of God? Why this massive conspiracy of silence? The answer is found in the scriptures. We are told that just before Christ returns, the knowledge of the truth will be in short supply. Men will love the pleasures of the world and, applaud, and the applause of men more than they love God. Thus evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 Billy Graham is deceived. That's why he believes that nature can save men's souls. That's why he refuses to evangelize lost Jews and Roman Catholics. That's why he arrogantly stands by idly silently while millions of precious babies are slaughtered through abortion. Regrettably, in his deceit, he is bringing thousands of needy and lost souls down with him. May the one true and merciful God forgive Billy Graham and forgive also the uncaring, lukewarm leaders of the Christian establishment who have long covered up and hidden Billy Graham's greatest apostasy, from the true gospel. Then he uh, has an article in here that uh, basically says that uh, Billy Graham uh, 
believes that the environmental issues are much more important than abortion, um, and he uh, avoids uh, talking about b abortion because it's too much of a controver controversial and emotional issue. Um, he has uh, in here uh, uh, some advertisements of uh, some of his books and tapes and audio tapes and things like that. One of them here is a, kind of a hideous looking uh, picture called Satan 2000, The Unity of World Religion. And he advertises it uh, as, um, let's see, it's a video for $20 and a 60-minute audio for 10 He advertises it this way. The World Church of Lucifer is at hand. The occult plan is that in the year 2000 A.D. the Antichrist shall come. This video reveals how top leaders of Roman Catholicism, the charismatic movement, fundamentalism, and lukewarm evangelicalism are combining to produce an ecumenical United Religions Organization, URO. Satan 2000 presents shocking facts documenting that many of the world's best-known charismatic leaders and evangelists are now helping the devil build the last days occult world religion. Exposed are the unscriptural works of Benny Hinn, James Dobson, Pat Robertson, Jay Gary, Billy Graham, Paul Crouch, Jack Van Impepee, Bill Bright, Chuck Colson, Steve Strang, and Pope John Paul II, all of whom are involved in the demonic-inspired deep ecumenicalism movement. Tex Mars explains how Judaism, Islam, Catholicism, Protestantism, Freemasonry, and the New Age occultism are being brought together in a horrible dimension of unity. The one-world false religion is now taking shape, just as prophesied in Revelation 17, and Lucifer, the father of lies, is behind it. Another one of the books that he has advertised in here is called The Mystery Mark of the New Age, The Mark of the Beast. It's uh, $12, and it, uh, his advertisement on it goes like this. They plan to give you the mark of the beast. If you take it, your soul will be damned and lost forever. But if you refuse, they will fully intend to kill you. Order Tex Mars number one national bestseller, Mystery Mark of the New Age, and read the documented proof of this hyenas plot of death. On that same page, he has a, uh, uh, a list of the ten signs of the end of the world. And here's how he introduces the list. Are these the last days? What are the signs of the end of the world? In this soul-stirring message, Tex Mars reveals ten fantastic modern-day events which herald that the time of Jesus Christ is soon is close at hand. He documents the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and provides irrefutable proof that God's Word is coming true in our day, the 1990s. Ten Signs of the End of the World presents a clear roadmap to the staggering things which lie just ahead. It examines and vivid in vivid, gripping detail, signs which foreshadow a cataclysmic end to man's ungodly activities on planet Earth and the final assured victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Visit with Tex Mars as he demonstrates the power of Bible prophecy evidenced by these ten signs of the end of the world. And here are the list of the ten signs of the end of the world. I want to interject at this moment that these ten signs of the end of the world that he has here and the scripture references that he has here in the tape series that we're going through here we're going to go through every single one of those scriptures I think most of them anyway 
And we're going to show that what he sees as coming upon this generation right here has in fact already been fulfilled, done and finished. Not last year, not a hundred years ago, but 1900 years ago. And this tape series that we're doing right now, I believe, will convincingly prove that. Now, where that leaves Tex Mars and this other gentleman here that I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from his, uh, his uh, um, tract that, uh, that he sent out, well, that's for you to decide. But let's go over these ten signs of the end of the world. And you'll, you've probably read and watched many, many evangelists like this text Mars use these same scriptures to uh, show you or to prove to you that we're living at the end of the world. So I'm sure some of these scriptures are not new to you. But the way we're going to show them in the, on the rest of this tape may be very, very new to you. Okay, here's the list. Number one. A new world order is being created with Israel and Jerusalem ready to become capital of the world and the throne of Antichrist. And here are the scripture references that he uses. And you may want to write these down because we're going to deal with most of these scriptures in, uh, in the tape series here to come. Matthew 23, verse 2. Thessalonians 2. He doesn't put in here which Thessalonians, first or second, so that's a, a printer's error. I don't know which Thessalonians which one he's referring to here, Revelation 11.8, Revelation 18.24. Sign number two, commercial and political Babylon now exist. And he uses Revelation chapter 18, James 5, and Zechariah chapter 5. Number three, false Christs and false prophets emerge and deceive millions. Scripture references are Matthew 24 and Revelation 13. Number four, the worldwide mystery Babylon religion of Satan is revived, and he uses Revelation 17. The financial control of world economies and the taking of the mark are made possible. Scripture reference, Revelation 13. Number six, the word of God is being attacked and ravaged. Revelation 22, verses 19 and 20, and 1 Timothy 6, 3. Bible prophecy is today horribly mocked and scorned by supposed Christian leaders. He uses 2 Peter 3 and James 4. The gospel is being shamelessly marketed like soap. He uses Romans 6, uh, verses, 16 and, or verses 17 and 18, Isaiah 56, 11, 2 Peter 2, 3, and 1 Peter 1, 7. I'd like to just interject at this uh, point that... Uh, for a 60-minute uh, audio tape, he charges $10. Now, most of the expensive ministries that I know that charge for their tapes charge uh, usually $5. He charges twice as much. So I guess maybe he is right about the, the gospel being shamelessly, shamelessly, shamelessly marketed like soap. Number nine. False teachings multiply, and the spiritual death of the apostate Christian establishment is in evidence. And he uses 2 Peter 4.3, 1 Timothy 4.1-2, and, and 2 Peter chapter 2. And the last sign, number 10, demonic communications abound, as insatiable satanic agents devour mankind. His scripture references Genesis 6, Revelation 18.2, 
Revelation 16:13 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Now the next thing I want to read to you is a, a tract that I picked up. I don't know where I got it. Um, I just have it. It's a, a two-page tract and the uh, the front of it has a, a picture of a hand pointing uh, its finger at you and it says uh, CDUSA wants you to know. And uh, I don't know what CDUSA, uh, whether you're supposed to pronounce it. It stands for Committee on Decency in USA. That's what CDUSA uh, means. As I'm looking at it, normally these uh, kind of a little uh, abbreviated kind of uh, things, they usually uh, can be pronounced in some kind of way. And so I guess uh, if I were to pronounce this CDUSA, I'd probably pronounce it as... Uh, Sedusa. So that's what I'm going to uh, call it here because it has throughout this tract the in capital letters CDUSA. So whenever I see CDUSA, I'll just uh, say the word Sedusa. Okay, I'm starting in the second paragraph here. I'm only going to read maybe three or four paragraphs of this. Um, it's you know two full pages long, but uh, I just want to. Uh, give you the spirit of this uh, uh, organization and what it has to say again about the end times because that's what we're dealing with on this uh, tape we're dealing with end time teaching okay Sedusa wants you Christian and the way he spelled Christian here is capital C-R-I-S-T all of those are caps and then little I-A-N Christian uh, Sedusa only wants you, Christian, to know about some biblical truths that you don't know about or don't understand. Not knowing about them, not understanding, or even rejecting them will not nullify them and leave you innocent. Sedusa wants you to know about them before your Bible is banned. See Amos 8, verses 11 and 12. And you can't learn what God has in store for a sinner like you. Revelation 6, 8, 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Be a hearer to have a chance to become a doer. Now, I'm reading this the way it actually is. It sounds sometimes a little uh, incoherent, but that's exactly you know the way this person wrote it. The days are nearly 2,000 years after the time when the elementary doctrines were given. It is time to leave such doctrines, in parentheses he says, that haven't made even one Christian perfect and hear about some important and end-time biblical doctrines. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. True, Sedusa doesn't expect you, Christian, to change any of your thinking, but Sedusa wants you to hear. You laugh now, Sedusa laughs later. Quote, For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, verses 15 through 17, might be the most important end-time gospel to hear and believe, to accept and react properly. The writer of these words believed it was the end time nearly 2,000 years ago, since many of those Christians were quote, suffering saints, but it wasn't, but it was end time today, but it is end time today since all Christians hold some form of worship while denying the power of Yahweh's true worship, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, 
and he has in the parentheses here, powerless Christians should be avoided, exclamation point. Christians don't want to obey, learn to obey. All Christians fight for a right to be sinners. They only want forgiveness for not obeying. This with scripture revealing that those who sin while knowing it is wrong have no forgiveness, Hebrews 10 verses 26 through 31. In parentheses, he says here, quote, Out of context, Christians say, Many Christians have heard that judgment scriptures, that judgment scripture, but they don't know the meaning of judgment as given in that scripture. Many believe it means a chastening to make them more committed. They believe a chastening will come to bring about revival. If they were committed, how could they be more committed? But it is utterly impossible for this judgment or anything else to bring about genuine revival in Christianity. Satan's unconditional forgiveness doctrine makes genuine revival impossible. Any Christian revival that comes could only be the devil's revival to get as many human beings going to church as possible so as many as possible can be condemned. That judgment will be a condemnation that eliminates Christians just as Babylon, Revelation 17.1, will be judged and eliminated. Christians will be eliminated and all Israelites will be forced to become what Christians refuse to become, Hebrews 8.10. Those human beings will be given the mind of Christ and be the last who become first. Christians will not be raptured before that judgment to live or rule in the Messiah's thousand years. A condemnation of the world's sinners must begin with atheists, communists, or unbelievers. It will be, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a condemnation of this world's sinners doesn't begin with atheists, communists, or unbelievers. It will be Christians of this nation who will be condemned first. Christians are not in Christ and will be condemned for being in the flesh. Christians will last. Laugh at that, Christian. The biblical truth of Christian judgment is a part of the gospel that will be preached before the end, according to the words of the first true Christians, Christian, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 44. Today's Christians are false. No denomination of Christians is preaching the Messiah's end-time gospel today that must be preached in end times. Most say these are latter days, but none preach latter days. Any denomination that would only preach about false Christians' nature going berserk and great persecutions during a time that will be worse than any time there ever was or ever will be could have no followers. Any Christian preacher who would dare to preach the Messiah's end-time gospel for even a month would have no one left to preach to. Today's good news preaching about faith in God, accepting Jesus, being baptized, confession of sins, communion, mass, saying the rosary, giving clap offerings, shouting praise God, babbling in strange tongues, is no part of the end-time gospel that will be preached before the end. Don't preach it to keep it from coming. Even Christians with the power to do any mighty works in the name of, of Christian will hear that they have never been known by the Lord because they were evildoers, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Most mighty works that come from sinning Christian leaders is fake. Any genuine supernatural power that might come from such miracles could only come from the devil. 
Such, quote, powerful Christians, end quote, might not believe they are evildoers, but Psalm 60, verses 16 through 21, easily identifies who the evildoers are. People who go to church where they recite God's statutes and covenants, who believe that they have been delivered, Jeremiah 7, verses 8 through 15, but continue to be sinners because they haven't been disciplined since they hate discipline, are wicked evildoers. Hebrews 12, 8 calls undisciplined Christians bastards. Unbelievers do not go to church to say the Ten Commandments or the Lord's prayers. Sinning Christians are the wicked who will be condemned first. Christianity will be destroyed. Matthew 13, verses 41 through 43. Christians cause much sin. Christians are evildoers. And all will be destroyed instead of being raptured. Now, I called this organization up, a Committee on Decency in USA. Their address is 3758 uh, West, uh, 3758, uh, it's kind of hard to read. It was printed on a, uh, look like a dot matrix printer. It's either V or, or W, and then the number 1250 N, Milford, Indiana, 46542. Their telephone number is 219 658 I called them up and I asked them what the heck are they really all about and basically they said that they're the uh, the word uh, for the the end time and uh, um, they went and they they burned their Bibles they uh, they went around to different churches and uh, uh, had placards up that said ban the Bible Christian judgment comes and apparently they were uh, uh, abused and misused by a lot of the uh, Christians that they that they pointed these placards at. Uh, I guess they 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 boycotted the different church services and things like that. It says on the bottom of this uh, sheet here that uh, that they were uh, given the finger hundreds of times, uh, had to call the police for protection. Um, these uh, the Christians destroyed their placards and their clothing. Um, they threw things at them, they cursed them, they knocked them uh, to the pavement with fists and kicks, they threw obscenities and death threats at them, so on and so forth. In trying to call this guy and, and, and ask him really what he's kind of all about and, and why they, they burned their Bible, I mean, they took their Bibles and they burned them. The, uh, the guy uh, that answered the phone, and he gave his name, and I, I don't have it here. You'll have to call the number yourself to, to get the name. It sounded like I was talking to the leader. Um, they banned him because they didn't need him anymore. They were the Word of God. They were the Word of God. The Bible was no longer needed. And, uh, and it said in here, if, uh, if the Word of God was true, that the sh judgment uh, should come... Um, by about August 1994. Well, this is uh, um, August 1995, so I'm not quite sure uh, what their, how their theology works so far. A year after they uh, banned the Bible and uh, burned their Bible and uh, burned the placards that they used, I guess they're just waiting for God to uh, to bring judgment upon first the church. He mentions in his track that uh, as they uh, picketed, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of Christians in their worship services, he says, uh, quote, not even one protested sinning Christian has had any desire to understand how to become an ex-sinner. 
all protested Christians fight for a right to continue to sin. In uh, trying to understand what this guy was all really all about, I got him a little bit irritated, I guess, and uh, he hung up on me with these final words, to hell with you, Christian. That's how he ended it. Now that man is out there somewhere at uh, your grocery store and at your restaurant and driving the highway. And this Tex Mars is out there somewhere too, um, who has got uh, most of Christianity. He has listed, I gave you the list of some of the, the, the names of the Christian leaders that he says are, are preaching a false gospel. And uh, apparently his gospel is not false. And this uh, CD Sedusa organization, who uh, went and talked to hundreds of thousands of Christians, not one of them um, wanted to find out how to become an ex-sinner. So that's the condition that we are in in the United States right now. Believe it or not, this Tex Mars and this Sedusa USA, there are many, many people out there who are like these people. And more than that, there are many, many people who are reading their materials and watching their television programs and listening to their radio programs. This text Mars, some of his books are best-selling books. His mailing list is, I'm sure, in the thousands. Are they right? Are we living in the end times? Is their understanding of the end times correct? And uh, what they're predicting, is it correct? This Sedusa, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And more than likely, if you've got this tape, you're probably a Christian. Is judgment right at the door? And is it going to come in your face? And are you ready for it? Well, Tex Mars here and this Sedusa USA don't believe that you're ready for it. And not only are you not ready for it, you... Uh, are blind, deceived, and doomed to hell. Well, now the purpose of this tape series is to show you, and I hope conclusively and convincingly, that the scriptures that these people use to predict that we are living in the last generation, these scriptures have in fact already been fulfilled they're right, they were an end of the world type of scenario. And that world has in fact already come to an end. That heaven and that earth that Jesus said will pass away have in fact already passed away. And all of these end time scriptures have been already fulfilled. I'm also going to show you that these kind of people here that we just listened to here, in that end time scenario, that same kind of voice, that same kind of spirit was speaking. And uh, as we go through the historical account of how these scriptures were fulfilled, I hope you'll discover and look to see who, what groups were voicing the kind of thing that this Flashpoint uh, ministry 
and this Sedusa ministry, the voice and the spirit from which they were speaking, I hope you'll be able to uh, recognize what factions and what groups were saying the very same thing when in fact these scriptures were fulfilled. We're going to go through a whole list of scriptures here. I'm going to read them and I want you to uh, take your Bible out and mark them in your Bible. I might, I'm not sure, um, make a list of these scriptures on a, in a written format to go along with this tape series. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that or not. But whether I do or not, you really should mark these scriptures and uh, you're for future reference. If nothing else, to help some brothers and sisters and non-believers who are being seduced by these very people that I just got through quoting a couple of newsletters and tracts from. Now, as we go through these scriptures, I want you to try to relax and use your imagination to go back over 1900 years ago to when these scriptures here were perhaps the first time heard. It's hard for us to imagine that in the period of time that we're talking about that these words were actually spoken and the time that these letters were actually written and heard by a believer or a non-believer for the first time, most of these scriptures were not scriptures. When, when, when the people in those days talked about scriptures, they were talking about the Jewish uh, 22 books, which turned out to be, in, in, in our Bible today, the 39 books of the Old Testament. So these scriptures that we're, we're, we're looking at here, I want you to go back to the period of time that we're going to be talking about, and we're going to be covering in some kind of a fashion here over the next uh, couple of tapes, that period of time from about 27 to 30 A.D., somewhere around there, up to 73 A.D., the generation after Jesus Christ's ascension. That period of time is what we're going to be talking about. And in that period of time is when the New Testament was written. There was no such thing as a New Testament in terms of the books of the Bible called the New Testament uh, at that time. They were being developed and written at that period of time. Now, some schools teach that uh, the book of Revelation and John's writings were written after 70 to 73 A.D., and there are other schools that teach that everything was written prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. I believe personally that that's the situation. I believe that all of them were written prior to 70 A.D., because the destruction of Jerusalem was such a catastrophic, tremendous event that surely uh, anyone who wrote after that period of time would have referred to it. But since none of the 27 books in the Bible in the New Testament refer to that period of time, uh, I'm of the opinion that everything was written in that generation that came after Jesus Christ's ascension. So... Put yourself in the situation of maybe a, a person that's called a God-fearer in maybe the city of Antioch, which was north of, of Israel, north of Jerusalem. 
And you were a person who kind of had a feeling that these Jews who believed in, you know, all kind of strange things, radically, completely different things than the Greeks or the Romans uh, believed. They believed in one God, and they had an unusual kind of a sacrificial system. And they had just, you know, laws that were radically, radically different than the Greco-Roman structure. And, and maybe you were kind of caught up by this thing and thought that, boy, there was something here. And you became what they called a God-fearer. A God-fearer was a Gentile who came into the Jewish community, was uh, listened to the scriptures and heard people expound on the scriptures and things like that, but did not necessarily become a converted Jew. Now, a converted Jew had to go through, you know, putting on the laws of Moses completely upon themselves, had to go through circumcision and, and the rites, uh, the, the rituals that went along with that. And there were uh, many Gentiles that did do that. Um, they were kind of, they became second-class citizens of Israel. And then there was another group of Gentiles who uh, believed that there was something there, but they would not go through the humiliation and shame of becoming a Jew. Now, for a male, for a male uh, Roman to be circumcised, in those days there was a lot of nudity. When they practiced their gladiator shows and things like that in the gymnasiums, the word gymnasium means exercising in the nude. Well, you know, they, they, uh, you know, the Romans really went in for that as well as did the Greeks. And a uh, a male that was circumcised, it was a it was a sign of a great humiliation. And there were many Jews who wanted to uh, fight in the gladiator-type shows who actually went through a, an operation to hide their circumcision. They did something to the, to the skin uh, there uh, that was uh, removed, and they did some kind of an operation that actually hid the fact that they were actually circumcised. So to become a Jew at that period of time, there was a, uh, there was a, a cost and many Gentiles who felt that the law of Moses had something to offer, they, uh, they kind of had their foot in, uh, but not completely. So picture yourself as perhaps one of these uh, Romans who, uh, yeah, maybe you're in the military and you got uh, stationed in Antioch, and uh, you began to listen to these Jews in their synagogue on, on Saturday and listen to what they had to say, and you felt like there was something there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, someone came along and, and declared the Messiah had come, and, uh, and you heard the gospel, and the Holy Spirit bore witness to it in your heart, and all of a sudden, you find yourself believing in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Picture yourself uh, in that situation. All you've heard you know, prior to this is the law uh, and the prophets, the Old Testament, and now all of a sudden someone comes in your midst and declares to you that what the prophets and the law spoke of has in fact been fulfilled in Jerusalem and he died for the sins of the world and now those who receive him as their Lord and their Savior have in the Greek aeonian life, age during life or eternal life as some translations say it. And you all of a sudden found yourself in love and believing in Yeshua HaMashiach, the Savior of the world. While you're at Antioch, you've got apostles coming through, 